You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Good morning. I'm saying good morning. I don't know when people are going to listen to this. Hello and welcome to the Professional Book Nerds podcast. This is Emma and today we have a special guest joining us. We have a rainbow Rowell. Welcome. Hi, thank you. We're so excited to have you here to discuss your gorgeous short story collection, Scattered Showers. Thank you. Thank you. That comes out November 8th. Um, That's right. I am going to just ask a question immediately without uh, looking at my prepared questions. But the cover of this book is stunning. The artwork is stunning. How did how did that come to be? What like it's I can't talk about how pretty this book is enough. Oh, thank you so much. Um, it is. Uh, I'm looking at it. That's why I'm not looking at you. Uh, it it was designed by Olga Gerlich, who um, has designed most of my books, but. Um, in tandem with Jim Tierney, who is a designer and illustrator who has also worked on a lot of my books. So Olga and I cooked up the concept, which is, um, we, well, it was like rainbow on blue background. And um, I've kind of spent my whole life hiding from rainbows because when I was younger, I don't know, I just felt dopey about it. Um, and I was like, we're not hiding. Let's put a rainbow on the, let's finally, like my first book attachments, they were dying to put a rainbow on the cover. And I fought it. Um, and now I'm like, ready, let's put a rainbow on the cover. So Olga and I were like, wanted it to look like an old VHS tape. I don't know if you are old enough to remember VHS tapes, but they're always like crazy rainbows all over them. Um, so we showed a bunch of stuff to Jim Turney, who is a genius. And Jim came up with this sort of infinite rainbow. Um, and my favorite part of it is there's like a, a little black cloud <laughs> right in the middle which kind of hints at the fact that the stories aren't all puppy dogs and rainbows. Um, and then Jim did the illustrations too. So Jim did the illustrations uh, inside of the book as well. It's absolutely lovely. Oh, thank you. And so can you tell our listeners about Scattered Showers and just how it came to be? I think that's a good question. Like how did the title come to be? Why Scattered Showers? Oh, sure. and what is this collection about? Um. But well, so I'm all over the place as an author, um, probably to my detriment. Um, I, you know, I, I write fantasy, I write contemporary, I write, I guess I write historical because 1986 is historical. <laughs> um, I write, um, you know, I write first person, third person. I, I feel like every time I write a story, I'm kind of starting in a new world. And so these stories are really, um, they run the gamut of my style and the sort of things that I write. And so I had the idea, scattered showers is that feeling of, you know, you're kind of like walking in and out of the rain and you're walking in, like you're walking in and out of the environment and the rain's coming down and then you're out of it. Um, so it's sort of a, a play on the rainbow and also the idea that, um, that this book is full of lots of different vibes. 
I love that. And that's absolutely what I took away from this, just sort of popping into the different characters' lives, spending moments with them, and then kind of moving to seeing something different. I love that that's how that all came to be. And again, the cover and this collection, it's just, I, it's such a gorgeous collection of stories and it's, and it's physically pretty to, to have. So I'm very oh, excited about this. Thank you. I was really excited. It's, I feel like it's the prettiest book that has ever had my name on it. And I have a lot of pretty books. So um, this one though, I think is real, is really um, eye popping. And the inside um, is, it doesn't have black type. Did you notice that it has Mm -hmm. um, like burgundy type? And then the, the um, illustrations are like a burgundy purple and a mint green. And so, yeah, I just feel like it's such, so pretty. Um, I'm not sure. I feel, I felt like this, this might be like, this would be, and I think this is like peak pretty book for me. It will be hard to top this next time. It's stunning. <laughs> I did have a hard time choosing which edition to order. I'll admit people that listen to the podcast know I like to, I like to, you know, source out all the different editions that are there and see which ones to get. And, um, this was a tough one. And I, I did settle on the, the Waterstones version, just because you of did. The, the rainbow. The rainbow, yeah. Sprayed edge. <laughs> Sprayed We're edges, really I know. Leaning into that rainbow theme, I guess. We're embracing it. <laughs> yeah. We're t- sorry, I did talk over you. I know that the Waterstones special editions are always, um, I mean, I don't want to play favorites, but they are always the best. <laughs> so my um, my Simon Snow books, they put flowers on the edges. Um. Yeah, they, they really go all out. I don't know how they manage it, but they are always just beautiful. And the Waterstones edition signed. And I think for people who are outside of the U.S., it might be the only way to get a signed edition. So, yeah, exactly. I think um, that's certainly enticing. But yeah, it was that that sprayed edge is what got me um, for that version for sure. I saw immediately saw that added to the site and went, "Yep, that's the okay. one I want." <laughs> um, but it is fun that there are so many different methods and and different additions for people to to get based on their I mean based on their preference or their their access to those I feel bad sometimes because I feel like you can only read one copy you know (laughs) yeah and so I feel bad because I feel like I don't want people to feel like they need to pay for three different copies but um but then I would have a hard time choosing if it were a book that I wanted and I'm I buy Waterstones editions. I just bought a Marion Keys Waterstones edition. So, so I buy them too. I love that. I'm going to, I'll have someone, I'll pass it on to somebody else to ask a question. I am, I am looking at your pictures and there are two very pink. You guys are, I feel like I did not get the memo about pink hair today. <laughs> um, I also didn't get the memo. And that is yeah. a frequent ask is when am I going to have pink hair? Yeah, really for theming purposes. We're work- I feel that you should- for branding. <laughs> we're working on it. We're trying to get her to get pink hair. <laughs> we're we're really trying. I mean, it's it's hard to just have two out of three of us pink. But I guess but you this have is where- committed in a wonderful way. I mean, thank I don't you. Know if people, yeah, looks great. I, I don't know if people have seen, but there is a, a level of commitment to bleaching your face. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can only imagine. It's, it's only scary to, the first couple of times. <laughs> I tried to do blue blue hair a couple of years, right before um, COVID started, and it did not go well. But anyway, it did not go as well as yours have gone. And it was the bleaching that we didn't bleach it enough. It, you had to yeah. really take it down. Yeah. It's uh, not a beauty podcast, but I'm happy to provide okay, tips. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's just me being too I'm funny. I'm mesmerized. Uh, <laughs> go ahead. 
I did start with blue. That was the first color I picked was was blue and then pink. Uh, how did you decide which characters from your previous novels you were going to pull into your short stories? Oh, that is that is an interesting question for me. Um, so a few of these stories have been printed before. Um, they but they're not, they've been printed in ways that, that aren't, or published in ways that weren't like widely available. So I did a World Book Day story for the UK. Um, mm-hmm. And then I've done two Amazon originals and those aren't in print. So one of the things I wanted to do with this book was round up all of the short stories that I'd already written. So that's four um, and give them to people in, um, in paper because a lot of my readers, I think prefer paper anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's just me, I prefer paper. So. Um, I wanted to round this up, get them in one spot. And when I was writing the last Amazon, they went like a holiday romance. Um, Mm -hmm. So I did write a COVID romance, which I'm sure they were thrilled with. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, But in writing that book and trying to write a cute holiday romance, my agent is a huge fan of Reagan from my book, Fangirl. That's his favorite of all my characters. His favorite character is Reagan. And his second favorite character is Agatha from the Simon Snow trilogy. So he has a type. Um, <laughs> yeah, clearly. Yeah, it's a time. It's like unfriendly ladies. Um, so he loved Reagan, and as I was trying to come up with ideas, he always will say, "Well, you know, this might be the time to revisit Reagan." He has this whole idea that I'm going to write a novel about Reagan. And at first, I thought, "No." And then, of course, I started thinking about it, and I was like, "What is Reagan from Van Girl doing? And where is she?" And it was a little bit lower stakes to revisit Reagan than to revisit Catherine. Levi mm-hmm. from that book, because I think people are deeply emotionally invested in Catherine Levi um, yeah. compared to, you know, Reagan is a side character. So I thought, right. oh, yeah, okay, I would love to write Reagan again. And, and then it turned out really fun for me to write her again. And I was able to, you know, create a little world around her. So then when I, I decided to write a whole book of short stories, I thought, well, is there anybody else? Because that was so much fun. Who else can I go back to in a way that I won't ruin the book? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't want to reopen and then ruin what you've already done. Or, uh, you know, my husband would say that that's yeah. what happened in The Last Jedi, but I disagree. But he would say, you cracked it open, Han and Leia are ruined. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so, uh, yeah, so I, I thought, who would I like to go back to? And I went back to Beth and Jennifer from Attachments. And that was super fun because um, Attachments is a book that's written um, mostly in emails, um, what is that called when it's letters? Um, epi- epistolary. Thank you, epistolary. You're so welcome. it's sort of a, it's sort of an epistolary novel, um, and and so I decided to go back with texts. So they're texts, texts um, with uh, with Beth and Jennifer, and then um, I did I did try Eleanor and Park, but then mm-hmm. everybody was like, "This just reads like a chapter from a book. It doesn't read like." Get, like that, that's an example of two characters who I think I'm so emotionally invested in that I couldn't just quite dip into them and be like, oh, here's a, here's a short, here's 15,000 words. It was immediately like, well, this is getting complicated. Um, mm. So uh, who else did I do? What? Oh, Simon and Baz. Um, I did Simon and Baz from the Simon Snow trilogy. And that was easy because I still haven't set them down. I mean, they're basically in my hands all the time and in my head all the time, even though that trilogy is over, I've not quite moved on from them. So it was so terrifically easy to write Simon and Bez that I wrote two Simon and Bez stories and we're doing one as an incentive. If you order from my bookstore in Omaha, the uh, bookworm Omaha, only, only people who order from the bookworm get an extra Simon and Bez story. Love it. What, I mean, talk about a great reason. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. For fan fiction readers, I don't know if you guys read fan fiction, but there are these AU tropes and they're in romance as well. It's not just. Uh, so I picked like my favorite trope from fan fiction and I wrote a Simon and Baz of that. Oh yeah, it's, I think it's very fun. I mean, it, if you were a Simon Baz, and Baz person, it's fun. If you were not, it's like, what is this? Uh. <laughs> no, I love that so much. And it's it's great to hear that this was truly just like a walk down memory lane or a fun way to bring some of your your favorite people back into your life. I, I always really relate when an author says that they have kind of like lived with these people or they've created, like mm. you just said with Simon and Baz, you never put them down, you know, so you're right. still kind of like processing that. Oh yeah. I, I get really close to them and I, I definitely get really close to them. I get a little over-invested in them. Um, Cause then I start to feel guilty about giving them plot, <laughs> but, but yeah. And, and I tried to do it in a way and I, you guys can tell me if this worked, but that if you hadn't read the attachments or fangirl, I think you're totally fine reading those stories. They feel like fresh stories. To be perfectly honest, I don't think that the Simon Snow story works like that. I think I think you kind of have to know what's going on with those two to get, because there's just like vampire stuff. And um, so, But I put it at the end. So hopefully new readers, because it's kind of an appetizer platter for new readers if they just want a taste of what I'm doing. Hopefully by the time they get that Simon Snow story, they're like, okay, whatever, I'm along for the ride. I can relate because I I haven't read attachments yet, but after reading this, I was like, oh, it's time for me to go back. <laughs> so this, you this, so you've read the story. I have yes, I have read all of the the scattered showers short okay. stories here, and I can attest that if you have not read your full catalog, it's still completely okay, enjoyable, good. relatable, fully works for everyone. Okay, good. And okay. I would say it's a beautiful entry into your work. Like if you are, oh, thank you. If you are brand new and you're like, I keep hearing this name Rainbow Bell <laughs> pop up everywhere. Where do I start? I think this is a, a wonderful, like you said, an appetizer good. in. Good, good, good. I I hope you're right. Yeah. I hope, I hope right. so too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I tried. I did try, except for the Simon Sister, right? I didn't try that hard, but for the others, I tried. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no, I agree. And I say that as someone who has read your entire catalog, that oh, well, thank I, you. I do think it also is a good entry point because it's not just characters that you have already met in your books that, you know, there are these new stories and these new characters that- right. So it just gives like a good um, kind of all you can eat about all the different sort of ways and stories that you tell. And I have to say, I was so excited to see the Reagan story because she is probably my favorite character. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) So I started reading and I was like, wait a minute, is this Reagan Reagan? And and I, you know, and even though you don't, you know, write specifically and have, you know, Kath and Levi in there, there's a little bit. There's a little, there's a little of, update. There's, there's a, little, a Kath and Levi update. Yeah. There's a little update, which is I feel like I appreciated. Oh, good. I know people were like, are they married? Where do they live? How many kids do they have? Um, I feel like I should say for people listening who don't know my books that there are nine stories and three of them are about former characters and six are totally new. So, so it's not all like reruns. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I think it's interesting how you said that, you know, you wanted to write these stories in a way that wouldn't necessarily like ruin or, you know, the end of the books or like change what has happened in these books. And I feel like that would, I don't want to say an issue with Eleanor and Park, but I can see how that would complicate things with Eleanor and Park. 
with the end right. of how that ends and then trying to like get back into that world and what that would look like that that would be tricky I feel oh for sure because Eleanor and Park ends in a way where it's in a very uncertain and we really don't know where those two characters stand and I don't think you can revisit it without confirming right you know are they together are they not together what happened and I don't think you can do that in 10,000 well I couldn't do that in 10,000 words I, <laughs> I thought I could maybe without but but I found that just even writing about them at all unpacked the ending so much that it right and normally you feel about a book like, okay, that ended where it should. So it's like very, you want to be cautious about reopening um, that, you know, it kind of makes me think of like television shows that come back mm-hmm. and you're so excited yeah. to see them. But then once you see them, you think, oh no, <laughs> you should have just <laughs> left it. Left it. Well, and I, you know, I like the uncertainty at the end of Eleanor and Park because I think it is very much open to interpretation and very much. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, once you sort of start down that road of, of bringing them back, you confirm what may or may not have happened. And I I like the fact that I don't really know and sort of have to read my own interpretation into it. So, right. And people, often people will want to know what, you know, they want you to confirm something from the end of the book. Like what did this, like, for example, um, did Simon keep his wings um, from the Simon Snow trilogy? And I feel like I really have to know what I, it's intentional. Often it's intentional that the reader is going to make up their mind. So when you go back in, you're really, you're kind of messing with the reader's peace of mind in a way, or their decisions or their feelings about it, which I don't want to do lightly. So yeah. I think, you know, at the end of attach, well, I won't spoil attachments, but I don't think you're in quest. There's no questions at the end of attachments about what those two characters are going to do. And so when I went back to revisit them, it wasn't like, oh no, shocking. Um, <laughs> and probably the difference there is attachments is about adults. You know, that's one of the difference. And Eleanor Park is about, I think you're 17 at the end of that book. So it's really a different, different things are settled at 17 versus 30. Yeah. And so that's actually a great segue to this question. Attachments was your first novel, right? Mm-hmm. And yes, so correct. we got an update on these characters in Scattered Showers. And what was it like just revisiting them after all this time? Um, <clears throat> well, Attachments was my first book. It's also the book that I spent the most time working on at least five years. I worked on that book for at least five years. So in a way, I thought that it might be hard to tap into their tone because so attachments is mostly two different women who, um, who, um, email each other at work and each of them has a pretty distinct voice. And I was a little bit nervous about being able to get their voices because, you know, when I wrote that book, I had two fictional voices in my head, Beth and Jennifer. Well, now I feel like I have a hundred, I have all these characters and and so I was worried about, can I do Beth and Jennifer again? But I'd spent so long working on the book that they really came back to me fairly easy. Um, it, it's, it was, it's interesting because when you shift into voice like that, sometimes you, you feel like, oh, I should just keep writing them. They, they're so fun because there's certain jokes that only Beth and Jennifer are going to tell. So I've written, you know, six or seven books since then. Well, there are just some jokes that I can only tell with Beth and Jennifer. I can't really tell with other people. Um, because they have a, a really specific um, rep- uh, rapport. And so it was so fun to be in that place again, where I could 
they're very kind of, I'm snapping, they're very kind of zingy, Beth and Jennifer, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And they're kind of always trying to one-up each other with their jokes. And they're such close friends that um, they can be mean a little bit, or they can be a little shocking with each other. uh, And it's never taken personally. So they can make, um, you know, they can make jokes about, you know, fertility or, or, or something like that. And, and, and so it's, they're very fun to write. So it felt really good to be back, um, to back with them. I, I can't think of a reason to go back to them again. Like, like, could I write a sequel to attachments? I don't know. That would be, I can't really think of what that would be. So it was very fun to get to be there just for, you know, a few minutes in a way. Um, and it was fun. Lincoln is the man in that book. And, um, it, it was it was also fun to have Lincoln. That was my first book, and it's from the point of view of the man, um, which was a def- which was a tricky choice to make, and I didn't even realize I was making it at the time. So I ended up writing this book from the point of view of the guy, and I, I I've usually written from the point of view of women, so it was a little bit different. Anyway, I could keep going and going on that, but. <laughs> No, absolutely. And that sounds like a not only a tricky perspective, but I can't imagine trying to find, you know, those old voices, especially like you said, you're fighting with so many of them at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking at In Waiting, another one of the stories, it's, oh, it's, yeah. a, it's a bit meta. Is that a look behind it's the meta, curtain yeah. of your own process? Yeah, that is my favorite story in this. Um, so I think I have two favorite stories and they're both brand new. Um, and that's okay. probably just because... Yeah, I think In Waiting is my favorite. And my second favorite is Winter Songs for Summer, um, which mm-hmm. I really like. And I I felt a little when I wrote it, like, oh, this probably should have been a novel. Like, I like these characters enough that I could have stayed with them for a year. And mm-hmm. um, I just thought they were really good for me. I don't know if they're good, but they like, you know, there's like, they felt really good to write. So those are my two favorites. Um, yeah, I like In Waiting is a, is a sort of look behind. It is a, it's sort of a, how would it, cause it's kind of compared to. Like the, I'm trying it, to think. It, it, jokingly, I want to say like the Wizard of Oz, don't look behind the curtain. Like it's right. very much who's actually operating the city. Um, yeah. I mean, with I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that it takes yeah. place inside the waiting room where characters are waiting to go into a writer's work. So yes. it's the characters inside the waiting room waiting to go into the book or the short story or with a whatever. Um, and it's uh, kind of a long story <laughs> that takes place there. And uh, yeah, I, I'm really proud of that one. I liked it the best. It's beautiful. And I, th- I think you. it's something you could find maybe ways to revisit. You know, I, I totally oh, agree. I could see yeah. this being, I could, I could have seen this being a full novel, but I also really see this being a way to be like, oh, here's another, like, we'll throw this out there. Here's, here's what's happening this day and time or like something seasonal kind mm-hmm. of, kind of vibe. You could follow those characters and see where they ended up, I guess, too, which would be very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, That book was, or that story was inspired by the fact that you know, I've been writing stories in my head since I was a kid and certain little threads will stick around and I'll be like, well, I have that idea. And it's like, well, how old is that idea? Well, maybe I've had that idea since high school and it's, you know, it's morphed. It used to be a romance and now it's this, and now that that main character is here. And, and you kind of realize that your childhood or teen characters you put together when you didn't maybe know all the it's like you built a house before you know how to build a house. So when you interrogate like what that idea is, it starts to get really weird. Like, wait a minute, what what, what did I think was going to happen next? So I have one idea 
that I don't think will ever become a book because it's so strange. And that, that kind of became the thread of this story. So in a way I got to, I got to use it a little bit. I love that, that this kind of morphed from some of your perhaps like oldest ideas. Uh, Yeah. Like junior high ideas. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing that you started writing so young, what, what inspired you to start writing or what was the, what was Um, that kind of like flashpoint? Uh, I I mean, I wish that we're more, in, I mean, this is not a very inspirational story. I just was pretty good at writing and not super good at other things. So. I love that answer. Like sometimes that's <laughs> that's just how it goes. You find your thing. And if you can find it, young, yeah. that, that's even better. Like it speaks to how something has been with you this long and you just found the place for it. Uh, yeah. And I was a journalist for a while. So the, the <laughs> thing that was more of an aha was, can I write fiction? Because sure. I, I, I was definitely a, I hope there are essay questions, kid. Like, I, <laughs> this is yeah. the thing I know I can do. <laughs> um, and then I, I wanted a job. Like I wanted to, I went, I thought, can I write and also have health insurance, which used to mean journalism. It doesn't really mean journalism anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I was a newspaper reporter and the big leap for me was being brave enough to write fiction. Cause I, I really didn't think that I had that in me. So I was late to it. I was um, in my mid to late thirties, I think when attachments came out. Yeah. Now let's take a quick break for our sponsor. Before you book any brunch, you pour over lists and lists of reviews. So why not do the same thing when booking a doctor's appointment? With ZocDoc, you can see real verified patient reviews to help find the right doctor in your network and in your neighborhood. After all, finding the right doctor is just as, if not more, important than finding the right plate of Eggs Benedict. If your doctor can recite every line from the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but can't remember your name, it's time to get a new doctor with ZocDoc. ZocDoc makes it easy to find quality doctors in your network and in your neighborhood. Plus, with real verified patient reviews, you can find the right doctor for you, one that actually remembers your name. There's nothing worse than going to the dentist, at least in my opinion. And when I was on the hunt for a new dentist, it was super easy to go and open up ZocDoc and find someone not only who accepted my insurance, but who was in my area and who had an appointment and could see me ASAP. Look, I'm still a kid. And unless they're going to pull out the chest of prizes, I'm probably not going to want to go to the dentist. But thanks to ZocDoc, I found a dentist that works for me. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. Go to ZocDoc.com slash ProBookNerds and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash ProBookNerds. ZocDoc.com slash ProBookNerds. And now let's get right back into talking about those books. As someone who is also a um, fiction writer, I oh yeah, I one hundred percent understand like everything you just said. I was like, yes, that. <laughs> not really good at other things. Also right. have been writing since like fifth grade and that there are ideas and characters that I've been carrying around for just years Mm -hmm. just trying to find the right place for them but sometimes when I do sort of like start to think I'm like 
okay that's a little weird so that's a little weird that came from a very unshaped part of my brain (laughs) an unfolded (laughs) part of my brain (laughs) well I I wrote I wrote fan fiction in middle school and high school which I think is partly Mm. why and like went on to get a bachelor's in creative writing which is one reason why I love fangirl so much but when I I do think about some of the the fan fiction I wrote at that age I'm just like yeah this is okay that's that's interesting where some of this strange we're just working some stuff out <laughs> yes there's a lot of working stuff out <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah I'm I'm kind of glad I wrote fan fiction and on a like pen and paper <laughs> and not to share with the whole world oh yeah no mine was definitely pen and paper oh, fan fiction like oh, with friends where we would pass around a notebook uh-huh, and you would uh-huh. have no idea what the next person was going to write and so then it would oh, that come back fun, and... actually good <laughs> it was it was it was but we would get it was x-files fan fiction mostly and so oh. we would yeah mm-hmm. i wasn't gonna um, ask but i'm glad you told me <laughs> Yeah, we wrote X-Files fan fiction. There was a group of nice. several of us. Um, I'm sure that didn't get weird at all. It did not get weird at no, all. No, it did not get weird. It was very wholesome. We <laughs> we may have in one of our stories killed off Scully just so we could get like a, a morning Mulder scene. Like that's literally the only reason. I was going to say just so that one of you could write in yourself the to Marianne. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like to the grieving him. Mulder, like yeah. Beth dead, like <laughs> deathbed scene, like that. Nice. <laughs> yeah. You write weird things when you're, when you're in, in junior high, but sometimes it, you know, it comes along later and, and look where you are now, Rainbow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> look where we both are now. <laughs> we, we're okay. <laughs> Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the facts from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Um, so in addition to your um, original fiction, you've done several collaborations over the years, including Pumpkinheads yeah. and then the Fangirl graphic novels. Do you have any other projects like that in the works that you can talk about? Um, I worked a lot with different artists, um, 
which I love to do. So I started, um, I started working in comics with Runaways uh, at Marvel. Um, um, and then I, Chris Anka and then Andres Genale, um, and then I could keep going with all the collaborators there, but, uh, and then I did Pumpkin Heads with Faith Aaron Hicks, which is a graphic novel. Um, and now I'm doing She-Hulk at Marvel. So I'm still doing a monthly comic at Marvel. Um, I don't have a specific, I don't have anything specific lined up. I just have kind of comics projects stacked, stacked up. So I'm going to finish out the fangirl manga with um, Gabby Nam. Um, we had Sam, we had Sam Mags helping out on the first two volumes and I'm doing the, the last two. Um, so really, yeah, my, my, my days are really filled with artists and working with artists and looking at art. And I find that incredibly uh, exciting and delightful and stimulating. So yeah, so I, I hope that I just keep get, getting to do comics um, as I work on pro stuff. That's my hope is that I could just keep doing both because um, writing, as you know, writing in novels, writing stories is really lonely. You're just alone all the time <laughs> staring at the computer. Um, in fact, I have to be careful when I do podcasts because I, I get to talk to people so little that I like will try to use this as, uh, you know, just let's keep talking. I'm <laughs> starved for uh, interaction. Um, so I like to do the comics because it means collaboration and it means getting to come out of my silent room. And even if we're not, um, usually we're in different continents. Like uh, my um, my comics collaborators have, yeah, right now I'm working with someone in Italy, um, Uruguay. So it's really all over, but uh, you still have this feeling of, of collaboration interaction and, and, and being part of something bigger. So hopefully I get to keep doing that. This is perfect. So I have a two-part question as a result of that answer. Okay, good. So if you could have your pick, maybe not speaking to anything that you can't speak about, but which Marvel series would you like to tackle next if the sky uh, was the limit? I'm so superstitious. I never want to say yep. who <laughs> I want to write yep. because I always feel like as soon as I do, someone who has more like power than I do will be like, I'm going to write that person. That's a great idea, which is yeah. silly. But for the longest time I wanted She-Hulk, I really wanted to write She-Hulk and she was in um, the Avengers. So I couldn't get my um, filthy little hands on her. That sounds worse than it. I'm just, I'm just writing a comic. Um, anyway. Uh, so yeah, I really wanted to write She-Hulk and I was hoping she'd become available and that she did become available because of the Disney plus show. Um, and so she got her own book and I was able to get, get in there and write her. So I've been having a great time writing She-Hulk. She's one of my all-time favorite Marvel characters. I love the X-Men. That was my bread and butter for 15, 20 years. I read so many X-Men books. So I would love to write a couple of the X-Men, um, but they're kind of too popular and they're too important. And so it, it's more fun to write a not so important Marvel character because you have more freedom when you're writing an important one. Everybody has an opinion really about like what you can and can't do with Wolverine, for example. Um, the, fewer opinions about the runaways. Um, so, so I kind of, I like, I like these B-listers and even C and D-listers. <laughs> That's such a good point though, because there, I think with certain fandoms, you do have groups of people that are very, very attached and they know a lot and they don't yeah. want you to mess with it. So, but I think that's a good point. And so well, the in Marvel second- itself too, because they are, you know, they're, they've got movies about these characters, they're valuable properties. So they don't mm-hmm. want you taking too many risks with them. Right. Like, I think there's probably is a time when Spider-Man is not that maybe Spider-Man's a bad example, because he's always been popular, but there's probably a time when Wolverine was 
I can't say Wolverine and I've decided to say it on, on <laughs> microphone. Wolverine. Uh, there's probably a time where you could take a lot of risks with him, right? Because it's not that important. There's not a lot of investment, but now he's hugely, hugely important. So you couldn't just make a radical change to that character or mm-hmm. put him in too silly of a situation without people really scrutinizing you. Yeah. I don't know if this is rude or not, but I, I did just watch the new Thor and I don't yeah. know if mm-hmm. that's an example of maybe going a little too far in one direction. Like too silly. Too yeah, silly. Maybe. With yeah. the character. Um, but so sort of ask, touching upon, you know, you said writing can, can be very isolating. And so you enjoy the collaboration projects um, because you are spending a lot of time, you know, with yourself and these characters and crafting them. Do you ever write in a group or do you have like a, a trusted circle of, you know, people that read and critique your stuff just so that it is a little bit more collaborative? Um, not really. I have... I used to work in advertising. So that is very collaborative, creative work where you're actually writing with someone else. You're actually coming up with headlines. You're, um, you're in each other's heads. I do like, I will go on like a writing weekend with a friend and we'll both write, but I find that other writers can be not great for like, if, if I have a friend and I share, here's what's going on with my story. I don't know how to solve this problem. She's going to tell me how she would solve the problem in one of her books. She can help it, right? That's just what she's going to tell me. Well, this is what I would do. That's almost never how I want to solve it. Um, So I find that it can be not great. Like other writers are maybe not the best sounding boards for your idea Um, because they're kind of like the IT guy who's like, just get out of the way. Let me fix it. Um, like I've got, I'm going to just take over. Here it is. So I like to talk about, I have a couple of people in my life. I talk, I like to talk about to story about stories too. And I find that they're like people who are thoughtful, who can pay attention and people who are curious, who ask the right questions. So you tell them about your story and then they ask a question that prompts you to go, Oh, let me, let me figure that out. Cause you, you're, you as a writer need to solve it for yourself. So the best person I find to collaborate with is not the person who tells you what to do, but who is interested enough that it keeps you going. I have one friend named Bethany who has helped me with several books because she's so interested and curious that as I'm telling her, I, I feed off her interest and her curiosity and she really wants to know, okay, well then what is this, what's going to happen then? What's going to happen then? Um, and so I get excited and I come up with more of the story, but you know, there's, I think when I'm talking to someone about a story and they're like, oh, and maybe you could do this. I'm like, uh, Hey, let's keep your ideas to yourself. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not looking for that. <laughs> I love that. You almost need like a book therapist. You provide them with the, right? the germ and they're like, now, how do you think that character yes. would react to that? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. How does that make you feel? <laughs> where, exactly. where are we going to go from here? <laughs> oh, I love that. Every every thought I had of therapy until I started going was Lindsay Lohan pretending to be Jamie Lee Curtis in Freaky Friday. And how does that make you feel? <laughs> I This is prompting me. My thought this week is frequently people will say that that book shouldn't exist. That character should have just gone to therapy. You know, like the Simon Snow trilogy would be one book if Simon went to therapy. And I'm like, one, yeah, this this isn't bad for books, actually, if characters go to therapy, unless it's a book about therapy. Two, I think when you say go to therapy, you've never been to therapy because it's not, Mm. that's not how it Mm. works. It doesn't just like solve you. 
Simon Snow could go to therapy for 20 years and still be messed up. Like, it's, as could right. I. Right. <laughs> this is not miracle solution overnight fix. No, no. Clearly, you've never been to therapy. Right. They go to therapy and the events of the book still happen. They just might cope with a handful of things better. Right. Exactly. They make one or two better choices. Right. And they get very tedious about it because they're constantly talking about their patterns. <laughs> Let me use my tools. Yeah. I know. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I wish they got to therapy so they could be as irritating as the rest of us. Right. Exactly. One chapter oh. will be like, a, a, like a, a page shorter, but three chapters will be 40 pages longer because right. suddenly they're oh waxy poetic. Totally right. <laughs> You're totally right. Uh, so aside from your different formats, so you've written adult, YA, you've got the yeah. novels, the novellas, the comics. What is the best part about writing across different formats and genres? Hmm. Um... Or maybe your favorite part. You mean about the flexibility kind of? Yeah, just the the fact that one day you could write, uh, you know, this this immersive experience and series and the next day you're just kind of writing like the chapter of the next or like kind of the next issue of She-Hulk. Like you're looking at just right. portions, you know, what's what's nice about that almost flexibility? Yeah, um, I think it's nice because I'm not kind of um, I'm not. Uh, I don't know anything about farming, so I don't have the right verb. I'm not like plowing the same field. I'm not harvesting mm-hmm. in the same place all the time. So I'm not in one part of my brain going, let's just keep doing the same thing. Um, I'm, I'm tapping something new. And often I find that it gets me like my brain's like always just like popping a little bit. So I be driving and I'll yeah. be, I'll see something and then I'll think, oh, and I could do this in She-Hulk. And oh, you know, what if I did this? And so I'm, I'm constantly able to run scenarios and I can hop and hop and hop. And I feel like when I stop one thing and start a new thing, I get this burst of energy. Like, oh, this is so much more fun. Um, uh, you know, in therapy, I've been doing these visualizations where you imagine joyful joy. You're supposed to imagine like a joyful thing in your life, right? And like spend some time, think of the time you were truly joyful. And the thing that I have found, this has been my insight. See, this is why people who go to therapy are boring. Um, my, my epiphany was almost all of my memories are I'm doing something for the first time or new. So it's in almost any time I pick a joyful memory, like I realize that it's like, oh, and I was, you know, I tried this for the first time or I saw that for the first time or heard this song for the first time. So I think all brains like novelty. And I think my brain especially likes that feeling of starting something new, that sort of exhilaration of it. So I think it's very exhilarating to hop around like that. And when I think about, you know, writing seven books that all take place in the same universe, and I mean, that feels a little bit um, uh, enclosed and sort of um, panicky to me. Thank you. Claustrophobic. Yeah. Like, oh, these people again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. Well, and it it also sounds like you're not you're not dipping your cup back into the same pool. You're pulling from, yeah, when you're getting all right. those different moments of inspiration. Everything is coming everywhere, like all around you. But does that ever feel exhausting? Or since you seem to run on this like fresh and new thrill, it, yeah. it doesn't really drain you in the same way. No, it's not exhausting. I think it's scary sometimes if you feel like you can't write. So you, it's scary yeah. if you hit a wall and you're thinking, oh, it's normally, you know, normally I'm able to just go, go, go and hit the ground running. And I've had in the last year, I've had a couple of experiences, new, some new, new and exciting experiences where I start a novel and then decide 10,000 words in that it's bad. <laughs> that hadn't oh, really no. happened to me before this last year. Yeah. So um, I think that is the only time that it becomes 
exhausting because I think failure is exhausting or frustration is exhausting, but hopping around is exhilarating. So no, it's not exhausting at all. Love that. Well, thank you. Um, I'm curious sort of on this, like what your writing process is like, do you, you know, when you have one of these ideas and you're really excited, do you edit while you write or do you just kind of get a first draft out and then go back in later to kind of carve out the story? I've done both ways. I've done where my first couple of books, I would, every day I would write and then not every day, but every day that I wrote, I would go back and I would write, I'd look at what I wrote the time before and I'd edit that and then I'd move on. So I might write 1500 words, then the next day edit them and then write 1500 new words. Then with Fangirl, um, I had been, it was like, I'd heard of NaNoWriMo for the first time. And I thought, oh, you know, I, I hate the feeling when you're first starting of you look and you just have nothing, you know, you're like, oh, I only have like 2000 words or 3000 words. So I thought, I bet you could pile up the words really fast with NaNoWriMo. Have you guys done NaNoWriMo? Yeah. Oh no. Yes. and no. Um, the, so I thought I'm going to stop doing the thing I do where I edit last time first, and I'm just going to keep moving forward. And so I did that and I got, um, you know, 50 or 60,000 words in the month. I hit my goal and, and then I just kept going and that book's about 115,000 words and it worked because woof, right. That book came so fast. And I think that the characters, um, feel very cohesive for that reason. Like you just, if you've done NaNoWriMo, you know, it's this feeling of like propulsion and you stay in the groove, you stay in the vibe. Whereas with a normal novel, you're constantly trying to get back to the groove. So, okay, great. However, because I did no editing, I had baked in a very deep flaw at about 40,000 words. So in 115,000 at about 40,000 mark, I had a pretty big problem. And to fix it, I had to break that book completely into three parts. It felt like doing, I, I, I kept saying, it feels like I'm doing surgery on myself, like while I'm awake. Um, it was a miserable experience. So on the one hand, great, like, oh, two months and I have a novel. I have a first draft in two months. That's a miracle. On the other hand, oh, when you write that way without editing, sometimes you you're nodding. So I'm, uh, you, you know, like you bake in bad stuff. And so I don't know. I, I still try to write a little bit like that, where I commit like a month where I'm just going to write as much as I can for a month. But I do go back usually and read what I've written. Now I usually start by reading what I've written. And part of that is just to get back into the, the tone of it and the da, 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 of it. Um, but and part of it is to hopefully see a big problem, but not just that was miserable. It it's, it's, it's not fun. Yeah. I, I've had that happen. I have, I love NaNoWriMo. I Mm -hmm. have finished it once and I'm planning on doing it again this year with Mm. new work. Um, and this month, like three weeks, I hope you're ready. Well, well, so I'm outlining this month and the hopes of mitigating some of what you talked about, because when I did it a couple of years ago, I had no outline and Mm -hmm. I, it was that propulsion, just like, just get the words out and, um, but then when I go back and I start, you know, when you're working at that speed and writing at that speed, at least for me, like I'll write things and completely forget about them. Mm-hmm. And so going back and reading, yeah, there's like big, like plot holes that make mm-hmm. or things make zero sense because mm-hmm. I wrote them this way. And then like five days later and like 10,000 words later, it's like something else entirely. <laughs> 
And so, yeah, right. You can't fix things. Yeah. Like you just, there are things you have to fix. And sometimes it can be an easy fix. And other times, like you said, you have to like break the book apart. And Mm -hmm. I don't really know which is better. (laughs) Um, right. Like I don't regret that book. I'm glad I wrote that book. It might not have happened if I hadn't done it that way. Yeah. But, but when you sort of have the finished product and you're like, Oh, I have to like rework this entirely because of X, Y, and Z from the nano process. It's, it's, it's hard. It's challenging. Yeah. I I think I try to keep that feeling of, um, every, what I think was the big, the big takeaway for me is that when you write every day like that, you don't have to spend that time for me. I think of it as like getting used to the pool. Like when you get yeah. out of the pool, you you get acclimated to being dry and warm, and then you have to work your way back into the pool again. So when you are in NaNoWriMo, you never really get out of the pool. So you're able to just stay in that zone. And I try to mimic that now. So I try to carve out, um, like I'm going to write at least five days a week for like at least three hours, uh, maybe longer. Um, and if I can do that, I'm going to stay in the book and I'm going to save myself time. Well, uh, the pandemic in a way was great for my writing because I realized that any travel that I did interrupted my writing process probably three times as long as however trip. So if I went away for three days, it probably was going to take me 10 days to get back to writing. If I went you know, for a week or two weeks, it might be a couple months before I just kind of got myself sorted. So not going anywhere really helped me. So I'm really looking, I think now looking ahead at like how much travel, it feels like an opportunity to travel and promote your work. And it is an opportunity, but it's also such an interruption. You know, maybe I'd write an extra book a year if I, Mm. if I didn't travel, you know, that's not a life, but, but, but anyway, it was something that it was like NaNoWriMo for a year. Yeah. Got to get out there and promote those books, but and you can't write as well, many books. Well, it's fun, right? Because then you get to meet people who read your books yeah. and you're not just sitting there alone with them wondering if anyone is ever going to read them. But, you know. Uh, that's true. That's true. Um, do you have any essentials for while you're writing, like music or snacks or drinks or anything like that? Mm, I'm not that picky. I mean, I <laughs> I, I used to write in Starbucks um, almost exclusively. And um, I that was good for me. Cause it was like, I was out, I wasn't alone, but then I, I was not accountable to anyone around me. So I could just ignore them. Um, then we moved and I, so I'm sitting in my office right now, I have an office. So I got used to writing in my office. Um, but no, I mean, I, I don't need a specific food or drink. I eat twice as much when I'm writing as I do normally, like what else can you do? You literally, your only break is to get up and get a snack or a cup of coffee. And so, <laughs> you know, I'm definitely not picky. I just, just sit here and eat whatever I can reach, sadly. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you touched on that though. Cause I, I remember in an interview or a conversation that you did, um, you came to Cuyahoga County public library here in Cleveland. Hmm. Like, oh yeah. Okay, yeah. You, I, you were here, um, t- I think it was about three years ago for pumpkin heads, but, um, specifically, I don't, you think it was seven years ago, maybe you were here in, um, a bunch of people from the overdrive office, uh, Jill and I were reminiscing about this because we didn't remember that we had both gone together, but separately, um, back in the day. And, and during that conversation, you mentioned that the way that you balanced, you know, writing and working and, you know, all of the responsibilities of life that there were some things that just had to go or just wouldn't get done. I think your example was cleaning. 
And I'm wondering if now that you're writing full time, like you've sort of said that your process has changed over time, um, Mm -hmm. where you write and how you write. And then certainly over the last couple of years with the pandemic, um, Mm -hmm. I'm just interested in, in what that evolution was like, like, what is it an ideal writing day for you now? Oh, you, you, yeah, you're, I think that was carry on maybe in 2015. Um, I think that sounds or, or right. Landline. Uh, well, maybe landline. Was it landline? Maybe landline. Is no, I think it was, was carry, it carry on. It was carry on. Carry yeah, on was, was carry fall on. 2015. Yeah. Was that, would, trip. that sounds right. That'd it was right. cold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, right. People often, especially when I was first starting and I had very young kids be like, how do you do it? You know, how did you finish a, not like, how are you so great? But like, how did you finish a book? and have kids and have a job. Cause I worked full time at the beginning. And, um, and, I, and I always felt like they were asking, they wanted some like magic tip, you know, like I make all of our meals um, on Sunday and that way I get back two hours a day for writing. But my, my tip was literally stop cleaning. Um, because that's what worked for me. My husband and I both worked at the time we had babies and, I kind of decided that the only thing I cared about was the disgusting things. So as long as there weren't dirty dishes or food out, and as long as there weren't a lot of dirty laundry, um, that, that, that was fine. So like the, that was like, as long as there was nothing dangerous and nothing like rotting, uh, it would be okay. And I would just tell myself I couldn't see it. And that worked because it is impossible. You just actually don't have that many hours. You know, you don't have that many hours in the day. You cannot. And, and I felt like I wasn't going to look back on those years and go, oh, I'm really glad I ignored my kids because we always had a clean living room. You know, like it felt like I, I got to prioritize here. So, so yes, I always, I, th- I would get that question. I'd be like, stop cleaning. And people would be like, um, don't you have a better tip? No, I don't. <laughs> All I've got is stop cleaning. Um, well, things are different now because my kids are older. So I, they don't need me in the same way, practically not at all. Um, and I'm able, you know, my books are a little bit more settled. So for the moment, I don't have to have a job. If I think every author you talk to, they feel like uh, at any moment I might have to get a job, um, uh, if they aren't, don't already have two. So I have a lot more freedom, right. And a lot more space. I just have, I I'm not balancing so many things. Um, so an ideal workday for me, I mean, I'm just less frantic than I was at the beginning. Um, and at the beginning, there was also always this feeling that I was prioritizing writing in the way, and it wasn't paying anything. So it was like, I was not cleaning my house or, you know, getting up early on Sunday mornings and, and, and leaving the house to write. It was like, I was prioritizing like a hobby, you know, like knitting. Like I was like, I am now going to start knitting 12 hours a week, damn it. And everything else is going to go to hell. That's how it felt. Um, so now when I prioritize writing, it is less of a leap of faith. At the beginning, my husband really supported me, but it was very much a leap of faith. Like he really started taking on more responsibility to let me write, even though my writing was not bringing any, you know, for years, I worked in attachments for at least five years. So that was five years that he was accommodating me, even though I was bringing absolutely nothing back into the house. <laughs> so, so, so I think what's changed now is I probably feel a little bit more, in, not entitled, but a little bit more like responsible when I'm prioritizing writing. I don't feel quite like I'm chasing this dream. And I think the whole house understands that it's my job and not my hobby. That's real. Okay. There you go. It took me a long time to get there. It's my job now. It's not just like, like this thing I'm doing on the side. 
Uh, so I think that my attitude toward it has shifted. So now it's like, I, I don't feel, I feel like I am going to get up and I am going to write and I am, that is what I do. And um, I can kind of live in that and, and, and occupy that space, even in my own head. Oh, sorry. It sounds like I hit you. I hit the table. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I love that. And I, I will say like, I don't know why, but your, your tip to just not clean has really yeah. stuck with me over the years from that conversation more. So just that, like, there is going to be something that's less important right. Right. than everything else that's going on. And um, I do honestly still think back to that. I have a small child now um, mm. who's almost three. He was born just before the pandemic. Mm. Um, and so I do think back to that, that sometimes there are things that just are not going to get done or they're just not more important than the other right. things. And um, I kind of give myself permission because you told me so seven years oh, ago I'm glad. <laughs> at a library event. I said, well, you know, if this works for rainbow, <laughs> this will work for me. Good. I mean, it's a tactic you can use for other things, not just writing, right? Like what mm-hmm. do you, what do you care about? Do that thing. <laughs> exactly. Well, and I'm, I can, I'm not the writer of the podcast. So yes, I just use it for a, a catch all of other things that I'm trying to prioritize, but um, I, I do someone think else good say advice that you just, Oh, sorry. No, oh, no, you go ahead. Oh, no, no. Just that you okay. can't do everything. There's just no way. No, absolutely not. I heard someone else, another parent say that you know, you talk about juggling, uh, but that really it's deciding and um, which ball needs to stay in the air at any moment. It's not like this constant, like work, kids, you know, health, blah, blah, blah. it's more like, okay, what in this moment and like letting the other balls drop, like, okay, in this moment, I need to focus on my kids. But the thing like you don't want to admit is there are lots of times when the thing you need to focus on is not your kids. <laughs> and you have to just like, okay, at this moment, the ball I need to focus on is my job. And I need to do a really great job today and let everything else kind of like, hopefully not break, but go um, and, and let go of this idea that you're going to do everything really well all the time in each moment. <laughs> trying not to talk over one another <laughs> I know I have like this view of the three of you so it's a little bit like I'm like big gambling which one of them is going to start talking because <laughs> you mute each other right you're not I can't hear you laughing like you're you you only yes. you're this is a very right this is a very civilized podcast where you're well, not just like because going so Joe, over each other right Joe and I are in the same room though as well so we're also <sighs> trying to mitigate some echoing and there's Jill's hand Ow, to the mind blowing. I had no idea. So yeah, behind the scenes for no listeners, idea. we're <laughs> navigating room logistics and mic muting. Yeah. Yeah. It's but not yeah. like a drive time radio show where everybody's just constantly no. laughing over and each other. And we're sort of like, oh, no. I'm like watching everybody else's mute buttons too, to be like, who's going to speak next? Because it's a delicate dance (laughs) a lot of choreography going on uh we describe ourselves as three toddlers in a trench coat (laughs) we're just doing the best we can here pretty much (laughs) Mm -hmm. so we're gonna for a few random bits um we do have a ton of rainbow rowl super fans in the office uh here at oh thank you i'm very grateful for that A lot of super fans. And so one of the questions I wanted to ask is if you have anything that you're currently obsessed with, anything that's taking up, you know, space or like whether it's a show or a book or a like beverage or just literally anything, I feel like I'm always interested to know what, what's on people's minds, what they're currently really into. Um, I'm very into two television shows, Los Spookies. Have you watched this? It's my favorite show. It's very funny and weird. 
Um, and also my second favorite show is uh, Reservation Dogs. Have you heard of this show? The so, And so there've been new episodes of both those shows and I'm really happy about it. I watched a lot of television during um, the pandemic, like so much. So I have like a million television show recommendations. Um, I just read a good book and like a really good book. I'm going to make sure I get the title right. It's not out yet. It's called Solomon's Crown, I think. Have you heard of this book? It's about like historical figures falling in love. And, And my son, who's obsessed with history, was like giving me the background on these two characters. It's like a king of um, France and a king of England and they fall in love and they're real characters. And my son is just like, you want everyone to fall in love and everyone who could ever exist in history should fall in love. I'm like, yes, exactly. Don't, don't bore me with the true history of this. Okay. It's I've been looking on my phone. This, okay. It's called Solomon's crown by Natasha Siegel. And I very much recommend it. It is out March 14th. Historical figures in love, kings and kings and kings, apparently real people. You can't go wrong. <laughs> Who doesn't love that? <laughs> Who doesn't love it when real people fall in love? <laughs> <laughs> right. Our our published fan fiction here. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Um, to continue some of our Overdrive obsessive questions, what is yeah. your ideal fan cast of Carry On? If it were to be a movie, uh, who's playing them? Unless, of course, I, you can't uh, talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I don't pay enough attention to young men in their late teens early 20s yeah that's probably probably good <laughs> just as a, just that's as a fair. matter of just yeah, as a rule. Yeah. just as a rule general rule <laughs> <laughs> I only have one fan cast for me um and that is and I'm terrible okay who's Matt Ruffalo what's his name first name Mark Mark Ruffalo. Mark thank you I have a hard time with um proper names Mark Ruffalo I would love for him to play Kath and Ren's dad, Arthur Avery, in Fangirl. So love that's my that. only, my only like diehard casting is I would love to see that. And you know, that book is like 10 years old. And so he's aging, but he's he's still, I think, an, a good age to play them, to, to play the father of twins. I feel like he'd do it. Oh, I agree. Absolutely. I like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's good. But that's the only one I have. Do you have any suggestions? Now, no, no none of you are gonna be like, well, I pay a lot of attention to uh. 18 year old boys. So here's my fan cast. <laughs> also, no, zero actor names. No, I know no. none of it's them. My, it's none my favorite them. question to ask, but I couldn't answer it if I were anyone who had written a book. I don't well, know who anyone is. No, the funniest thing is um, the, the longer book has been out, the fan cast changed. So, you know, sure. and it's usually like some influencer or some YouTuber or, <laughs> um, you know, it's just always someone who I've never heard of. And I'm just like, yeah go with God. I, I, that's fine. Maybe. I don't know. We at least know Mark Ruffalo is the, is the dream. Mark Ruffalo for Arthur Avery and fangirl bring on the Oscars. We'll take it. So good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I do think of, I sometimes visualize actors as I'm writing, but not in like a, Oh, I would love them to play more. Like it helps me to have pictures of people's facial expressions and the thing about being a celebrity is there are a million gifts of you. There are a million photos. So if I'm looking for reference, I can find, if I pick a celebrity, I can find just oodles of reference for them to, to see like how their faces move and stuff. So, but I don't actually think, you know, when I'm doing that, Oh, Tom Felton should play Levi. It's more that I just used Tom Felton because I needed a reference. 
Right. So I do have a confirm or deny fan cast question from a, mm. a big, a big fan. Is okay. Penelope Bunce's dad, Martin Freeman on your carry on yes. board? Yes. Yes. He <laughs> <laughs> He's even named Martin. <laughs> I mean, yes. I had a lot Perfect. of Sherlock gifts on my phone as I was writing. So, oh, yeah. I do Martin love Freeman a Sherlock just... moment. Perfect. Sherlock, right? Will I ever get over it? No. no. I I actually Mm-mm. was talking about that with my husband the other day. We were like, wait, is that that's over? Are we is it done? It's not coming back. Where are we at with Sherlock? I think it's they done. never quite close the door, do yeah. they? Well, that's true. It's I done. feel I feel like the last season was not maybe well received so much that they decided maybe. <laughs> Yeah, that last um, season was painful. But I, I don't yeah. know. So they're like, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know if that's what settles it though. Because I think right. if that's they true. were to come back, people would be so excited. That's and true. I would be there. Yeah. I, I'd I open my heart for Sherlock. Oh yeah, I'd be there too. Oh. Yeah. Um, now that they're, now that especially they're all part of the MCU, they probably don't have time. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's also but true. Everything changes. We don't know where we'll be in five or ten years. Exactly. You know, we just have no idea. I just watched the first couple of episodes of Sherlock with my kids. And um, because when I was younger, when they were younger, I had a Sherlock t-shirt and it was like um, Sherlock shouting murder with a big rainbow. And I wore it once. And my son was like, why would you wear such a disgusting shirt? (laughs) And so it it went into the closet and then now they're older and they can handle a little bit more. So I was like, let's watch Sherlock. And I was in it. I was just in it right back in it it took me no time at all I was there I was like looks like I'm going to be reading fan fiction for two months because here I am (laughs) yeah it's funny how our obsessions kind of come back around oh yeah I mean I've been reading Star Wars fan fiction for I don't know since the last Jedi came out like without pause and that basically is a complete bookend to how I spent you know, age eight to 15, just obsessed with everything Star Wars. So I feel like once something is in you, sometimes it's just waiting to be reawakened. You can't hear them nodding and laughing, but they are, they are. We, yes, we are nodding and laughing. Roariously. <laughs> we'll have to release a behind the scenes clip. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Director's cut of how raucous this was. Behind the scenes. Yeah, so- exactly. We, yeah, we're here to talk about scattered showers. This is out November 8th, but I am always curious to know if there's anything else you're working on now that you can share outside of She-Hulk. Yeah, I am working on, I have one kind of secret comics project. Sorry, I'm not talking into the mic. I have a secret comics project. So hopefully that secret comics project will become a reality and I'll get to announce that soon. And then I'm going to write a novel. I'm probably going to write an adult novel. Um, it's been a while since I've written adults. So my, my, my head is in a messy adult space. So I will probably write an adult novel next. I have two books. I've, I have well, three that have started and one of them I've just given up on. It's terrible. Um, it takes a lot for me to say that, but it is not good. And then um, I have two others that are probably good enough to keep going. One is YA and one is adult. So I think it's, yeah, it's probably time for me to write a novel. It's very tempting to write more Simon Snow. I've got Baz always on my shoulder going, come on, Rainbow, you know you love me. Um, but I think I need to do something different. <laughs> I mean, there was never a doubt that you wouldn't be writing more, but I love to know that there's so much on deck and to see oh, that it's across. Oh, thank you. And, you know, 
I, maybe I'll just join Baz and say like, hey, maybe maybe you should write more assignments. No. I feel like if I read I'll Simon right now, they'd, they'd be like in their 40s or 50s. It would be like <laughs> yeah. real middle-aged stuff for Simon and Baz. Do you think that their fans would follow me? No. I, mean, I don't know. It's I always mean, worth a shot. I, I'll say this. Given the popularity of our flag means death, I think oh, yes. you're right. People I think love yes. a middle-aged man, don't they? They do, and I think like the couple. I I think there would be people who. All right, off. maybe, maybe, oh, yeah. maybe. maybe not the like younger readers, but like folks my age, I would totally read that. Like, I want to see Simon and Baz in their forties and fifties, and you see them like <laughs> going gray, having yeah. moles removed. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's what we I all think want. there's room I think there's room for I it I mean it's where my I would read it so <laughs> and I think See? that's the answer you've got Me? you've got right, three votes on go. this end of the mic so <laughs> now I know who to blame you guys have to bring yep. me back for that middle-aged Simon and Baz novel we'll bring you Absolutely. back anytime but if you yeah, are writing middle-aged here. Simon and Baz <laughs> we, we will sign something now <laughs> okay <laughs> we'll, we'll be an exclusive press for you <laughs> Exclusive we'll follow you on tour for that one graying snow <laughs> rainbow before we let you go uh where yeah. can the listeners find you on social media online where would you like to direct folks i am mostly on um instagram and tumblr cool. i'm i'm keeping tumblr i love tumblr that's where i spend most of my social media time um, so I am rainbow Rowell dot whatever on Tumblr. And then I am on Instagram. I don't really go on Twitter anymore. Cause it was a little bit like, I felt like Frogger dive, you know, like mm-hmm. just the adrenaline rush of being on Twitter is too much for me. Um, but yeah, so I'm mostly, I'm mostly announcing things on Instagram if that's what you're. Yeah, that's perfect. I love that. If that's what you're interested in. Yeah. And I have a website and I, and I do update it. Like okay. if you're the sort of person who's like, look, don't be in my face all the time with updates. Check website. my website. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, if you want Check to bring, if you want to keep Tumblr alive with Rainbow Emma and I, keep it going. Please. Are you guys there too? Uh, not the professionally, but yes, yes. Okay. Tumblr is <laughs> Tumblr is still Secret. alive in my heart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I started my Tumblr, I was a newspaper columnist, and I was like, oh. This is the social media place where I get to be my authentic self because literally no one who reads my newspaper column is ever going to come here. Um, oh. And that has been mostly true, you know? Yeah, I mean, I mean it's not that I'm anonymous, but people right. just, if you're going to be on Tumblr, you kind of have to want to be on Tumblr. Mm-hmm. So it self-selects you have to kind of work a little for bit. It. Yeah. You have to work for it. Exactly. It's it's fully relatable. When I started mine, I was a freshman in college. So Ooh. Uh, yeah. And that was also prime Sherlock time. So I was at some so point years. a messy Tumblr Sherlock. Super Hulock blog. Oh, you better believe <laughs> all of those were describing me at some point. <laughs> you better believe Tumblr made me start watching Supernatural. <sighs> Just so I could put Super Hulock in, in all of my yeah. descriptions. Well, you're welcome, I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I love this it. This has been fun. This has been an thank absolute you for delight. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Yeah, thank you so anytime. much. This has been so much fun. Yeah, we're gonna hold you to we, that anytime thing too. Yeah, because yeah, oh, seriously, <laughs> like, if somebody we, drops out, I could be like, um, you know, who used to always come on Johnny Carson, you know, like if somebody drops a oh, Jen yeah. Rivers, you're like, Oh, it's Jen Rivers again. Here she is. 
Oh there you go. Uh, the you... impact of that, though, if we were like, Rainbow Rowell is just our fill-in. If we ever I'm need someone. I'm back. I've got oh a story gosh. about Starbucks. <laughs> Jill, I'm good like... luck on NaNoWriMo. Thank you. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what's the Starbucks story? <laughs> no, no I kidding. guess that would be the, the only thing that we have. want. Yeah. Like, I got nothing. <laughs> Today on the pod, Rainbow's here to talk about Starbucks. Oh, I like there was like an echo. <laughs> That's what we were trying to mitigate all episodes. Oh, no, I liked it. It was like a special effect. Today. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I can get in real close and do my, my since we didn't give you a uh, radio announcer this whole time, I'll just come in and pull it at the end. Perfect. Thank you so much for this conversation. Oh, yeah. Thank you, guys. Um, nice to talk to you. Please. Come back anytime um, okay. to chat about anything uh, and come to Cleveland. Yeah. Oh, I, I might come because I'm trying to go. I'm only going to the Midwest on tour. So who knows? Mid- oh, Cleveland's okay. kind of the well, Midwest. If you do, let us know because if you need help, oh, yeah. we can do any sort of like hosting, ho- emceeing, la- library. But oh, emceeing. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that would be fun. We okay. Get yeah. Starbucks. Just let us know. <laughs> give me a Starbucks. You, you can That's give true. me a Starbucks, Rex. Yeah. There you go. There you yes. go. I okay, good. <laughs> Okay. Oh, Thanks, guys. Thank it was so great much. to meet you. God, wonderful to meet you. Honestly, super fun. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on Overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen Podcasts, visit evergreenpodcast.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer, Jill Grunewald, and Joe Skelly, and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.